Well, welcome everyone to the Resilient Leadership Podcast, where everything we talk about is aimed at helping you lead with a greater sense of calm, clarity, and conviction, even in anxious times. And my name is Urban Nugent, and today, as always, I am joined by my partner in crime, Bridget Tyre. Bridget, how are you doing today? Oh, Irvin, I'm doing great. You know, I have the privilege of looking out some windows in my office that are, the views are magnificent because it's fall and Mm -hmm. I'm seeing Mm. gold and red Mm. and yellows. And it's just such a beautiful landscape this time of year. Yes, I feel feel very fortunate to have such a gorgeous view out my window. I know you like fall as well. You like that crispness in the air. I do. Yes, this weekend was just perfection when it came to weather because the morning had the crisp and then there was bright sunshine, which actually felt a little warmer than it actually was. And so- Uh, it was so beautiful. I was down in DC this weekend and I was walking. We did, we like to go through the monuments at least once a quarter. Mm. And it was such a beautiful walk with that bright sunshine. And so that was, it was a special day. It feels good to be alive when you have a day like that and you're walking out in the sunshine. It just feels good to be alive. Absolutely. No, it totally does. All right. So, so Urban, yeah. we have been talking about this topic for mm-hmm. a, a bit. We've been excited because we feel like it has some juice to it. So yes. So tell the listeners a little bit about this topic. Yeah. So today we are going to talk about resistance and sabotage and why they might be signs that you're actually doing something right. Now, this is a little bit counterintuitive. Uh, think about it, you know, uh, as leaders or in your families or whatever, when you think about resistance, you think about something negative. And when we're faced with resistance or sabotage, uh, in the face of that, uh, sometimes it's hard to stand up to. We lose our resolve and maybe we begin to doubt ourselves. And is this really the path I should choose? Like, I mean, if others don't like it, then why would I want to go down there? And so at times we kind of choose maybe to, um, to, to lay back a little bit, or perhaps we go forward, it backfires, and then we get nervous. So it's, it's a dilemma I think we all face in leadership. And uh, Ed Friedman, who we have mentioned before, is one of the the gurus, really the the great thinkers around systems and how systems impacts leadership. And in his book, A Failure of Nerve, you know, he was speaking about this and and he said, and I want to quote him, is sabotage is not merely something to be avoided or wished away. Instead, it comes with the territory of leading, whether the territory is a family or an organization. So fascinating. I love that quote. Mm. I love it because that phrase, it comes with the territory of leading, right? Mm. And so it's baked into the very nature of the job description. Can you imagine (laughs) in organizations if there was a job description that said leader of the XYZ team, uh, first responsibility, deal often and well with resistance and sabotage. Mm. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think you would get many takers. No, no, not at all. No, it's like, oh my God, yes. No, I don't think so. And yet what mm-hmm. he's telling us, and we're going to talk more about it, it it's part yep. and parcel of the leadership experience. So Absolutely. this makes me curious about your journey as a leader, because you've 
from time to time, you know, shared some some insights and experiences from when you were leading an organization. So, Irvin, w- when you were in that role, did you ever experience some form of resistance or sabotage? Oh boy, yes, I did. And I wish I had this episode because it might have helped me a little bit in dealing with it, but you know, one of the things that happened is that I took over an organization that was very anxious. And there was a lot of unresolved anxieties out there. People, there was rumors about budget cuts. There was just a lot of different things. And and when I came on board, I knew that changes had to be made. And I think one of the things that happened was that I decided, okay, change has to be made. I'm going to make those changes. And, And off I went in my merry way making these changes. And I remember my first board meeting. And here I was, you know, in front of a board who only maybe two months before had said, you're the person, you're, you're, you're the answer to our prayers. And now every single one of them was lined up against me <laughs> because, you know, all this angst had reached the board table. Oh, he is not listening. He's not doing this. He's making this. He's doing that. And of course, instead of really being resolute, what happened was I cowered away And it really impacted my Mm self-esteem. I I really became, I have to really realize in the next six or seven months after that, I was risk averse. And it was, you know, I kind of cowered away and I said, oh, no, 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 I'm not going to touch this. And and, and obviously, and and so I, I really didn't understand the dynamics of what was going on. Boy, that sounds painful. Mm. Uh, And you know, as you said at the start, perhaps if you had some of this insight that we're going to share with listeners, it might've turned out differently, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm recalling a similar painful experience, a couple of them actually, when I, when I got some real heavy duty pushback, one was when I was leading a big change initiative in a school where my children were and the principal, you know how your board was all behind you and like, rah, 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 you're, you know, we've been waiting for you all our lives. Well, this principal was like, go forth, Bridget, and make these changes. Like, this is fantastic. And so I did. And I remember the first night I started getting calls from disgruntled parents. And some of these were friends of mine and some of them were neighbors. And they were really calling into question what I was doing and why was I doing it? I was shocked. I was not prepared. Yeah. And then another time I remember when I worked for Marriott and I joined this team and the guy who hired me said, we need some fresh blood on this team. And Hmm. I hired you because you have great ideas. So bring them on. And so I brought them on and lo and behold, not everybody loved it. (laughs) And there was a woman in particular who she really pushed back hard on me and sabotaged some of my things. And again, I was really taken aback. I, Hmm. if in both cases, it felt so personal. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's what it is. I I love that word personal because I think that resonates so strongly with my experience that I felt it was this personal attack and I really crippled me for a little bit, you know, because it was like, you know, then I went into my whole people don't like me. They don't like what you're doing and all those, those, those different uh, sundry feelings that go with that. But, you know, dealing with resistance really is one of the toughest challenges we meet, we face as leaders. And uh, I'd mentioned Ed Friedman 
at the beginning of the podcast. And, you know, he said, you know, our ability to do this skillfully is referred to, he referred to it as the keys to the kingdom. I love that. Because really it can make or break our success and our spirit. I think we've talked a little bit about that. Both our spirits were really impacted there. And uh, and it's draining. You know, there is an emotional impact to us and, and it's really draining dealing with this. So therefore, let's just take a closer look at this. I think what we're trying to say, Bridget, is it's really not about us. It really is there's something bigger going on here. And do you want to say a little bit more about that? What might be really going on here? Yeah, there is something bigger going on. And so the first thing I think that can help us face into resistance and sabotage with greater courage is to really understand it as a systemic response to change and not a personal one. So we might really want to think about that for a minute. You know, resistance and sabotage feels incredibly personal, but it's a systemic response to change and to the anxiety that is provoked by that change. And so why is that the case? And so, you know, all systems, right, whether it's relationship systems or planetary systems or bodily systems, they all have baked into them this natural instinct to preserve homeostasis. Right? Mm. It's it's like homeostasis creates that stability and that order in the system. And so when something threatens that homeostasis, it reverberates in the system. And there's a natural inclination to push back on that, right? To try to maintain the status quo. And we can see this in our own bodies. You know, when viruses invade our bodies, what's the first thing that happens? We produce antibodies, right? We don't think about it. We just do it. And guess what? Sometimes we're wrong. Our body is wrong because it's not a virus. It's something else. But the point here is that leaders are called to challenge the status quo of their organizations, right? We're called to lead people to new destinations. And when we do that, it is threatening to the homeostasis of that system. And so in that discomfort, you're going to face from some parts of the system, some resistance. Sometimes it's a ton. Sometimes it's sabotage. Sometimes it's a little bit of pushback or a combination of all of that. And so it's part and parcel of, as we said, the job description, and we're going to face it. And in point of fact, the reason it can be a sign we're doing something right is because it's probably a reflection of us fulfilling one of our primary duties as a leader, which is to challenge our organizations and lead them to new places. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So- all right, so Irvin, I got on my soapbox there a little bit, and I'm curious, <laughs> what did what did all of that provoke for you? <laughs> well, I, I love this idea of looking at the at the bigger picture and the fact that we are trying to change a system, and how that can help us, you know, depersonalize a little bit. I'm really thinking of a client that I was working with recently, who was in an organization that was going through a really big, big change initiative. And, um, and it was a really good change initiative. I, I, I came from, you know, sometimes changes you wonder, are they good or bad? But this one really came from a place where they were trying to move uh, the organization into a better alignment with their values. 
and they were really beginning to to question, you know, what they were doing and and the value of that. And the person who I my client I, I think is a very wonderful person. I think she is a fantastic listener. She is everything that a person would want in a leader uh, or a manager. Mm-hmm. And and yet we were talking over an angst that she had in dealing with one person that she was supervising who really, really, she just found out was really trying to sabotage her. And the way that she was sabotaging her was through um, some, some gossiping and then also really planting seeds of division among other people that, you know, kind of really that this is really, that this change is, is malicious, you know, you don't know where they're going with this, et cetera. And, and, you know, her, she was saying, look, I am like, you could just hear the exasperation. I'm trying to do everything right. Like, what am I doing wrong? Do I need to listen a little bit more, uh, et cetera? And, and, And it was just, I said, look, no, you're, you're, you are doing everything well. You are showing empathy, but you are being strong at the same time that this change has to happen. And this is not about you. This is a person who is reacting in the bigger system who who is trying, you know, and so the sabotage, all of these things are, and I just said, are normal and to be expected. Mm. And that was such a relief for her because it was like she never, she thought that it was a signs of something going wrong, signs of something that I'm doing wrong, but really to change that lens and to say, no, this is to be expected and it is normal. And really what's required is, is to, yes, absolutely be attentive to, am I listening, et cetera, but at the end of the day saying, you know, what's called call for me is just to be firm in my resolve. Mm, God, what a beautiful example. She was doing everything right. And that's what I mm. think is so hard, right? Is that yeah. I'm doing yeah. everything right. Why am I still getting this kind of behavior? <laughs> yeah. And yes. so you were able to say it's it's normal, aka it's a natural systemic response to change. And it's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have to change what you're doing. And, you know, I find similarly when um, I'm coaching leaders and they're facing pushback and resistance and they, they get thrown off by it. And when I'm able to say, no, this is what anxious systems do to some extent, right? Yeah. So yeah. stay the course. As, yeah. long as, as long as I can hear that, just like mm-hmm. with your client, they're doing all the right things, right? Yeah. Then stay the course. Yeah. So, so really what we've already said, I think are two of the most important strategies for facing into resistance. Well, one is expect it because it's part of your job description and it's a a sign that you're doing something right. So lean in, right? Depersonalize it and lean in. But there are some other strategies that we can share with our listeners, right? Building off of those two fundamental ones. So what, what comes to mind first for you, Irvin? Yeah. So one of this, we've, we've talked about this uh, and it's funny how both of us in our examples, when we began this podcast, we're talking about change initiatives and about driving change. And sometimes it was called and sometimes it wasn't called for. And I think, you know, what knowing, you know, that, 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 if we're trying to drive change through a system, we need to lay some foundation for that change. And I think more often than not, I, I'm not sure about you, Bridget, but my example, just personally and working with, with leaders as well, it's that they've, they've drove the change through too early. And I think what we can do is it's not that we're not to avoiding the change, but rather we're creating a foundation that will make that change uh, happen with greatest impact. 
and mm-hmm. perhaps as least resistance as possible. And part of that laying the foundation is really taking time. Um, so often, I think, especially new leaders, they feel they have this onus that I need to make my mark. I, I, I need to make a difference. I need to, I need to, I need to people need to say, wow, they're, they're, they're really showing up. They're doing a, gr- a great deal. And really, it, it takes courage just to sit back and to really reconnoiter and, and to think about what's happening here. What, uh, what am I noticing? And then to really uh, begin to get to know people, understanding why they do things, why they don't, and just demonstrating a willingness to build trust and to listen. And I think this is essential because then when resistance comes, it can truly help us then understand, oh, you know, I'm, I'm not expected because I'm expecting that because this person shared with me, you know, how, how the, you know, they're in, they're loving what they're doing at the moment. And I know that any change is going to upset them, et cetera. So we can put it in the bigger picture. So I think the first thing is really lay up, take time and lay foundation for the change. And I think it will reap benefits um, mm-hmm. later down. Yeah, yeah, that's so important because uh, if we move to too quickly, right? With our mm-hmm. change, without laying the foundation, we inadvertently invite resistance. Yes. And it's like, why, why do we want to make our job harder? Mm-hmm. We're going to get some resistance anyways, even if yep. we do everything perfectly. Yeah. And, and I've seen it too with new leaders uh, make, mm-hmm. you know, making that mistake. And sometimes just with anxious leaders, you know, who want to prove themselves, right? Who are worried about threats that exist around their, their team or their organization. And so they, they push through the change in an anxious way without laying the foundation. And then they get resistance on top of the natural resistance that you're going to face anyways. So that's, that's really good. Okay. What else can we remind listeners of? Yeah. So I mean, what other, what other strategies have you found helpful? I think this one about laying a foundation. What else have you found perhaps helpful as well when it comes to, to that? Well, you know, you mentioned in an earlier episode, saboteurs, mm. right? And, and I can't remember in what context we were talking about that, but we know for certain that we're going to get some of this resistance and sabotage. And I think every instinct in our bodies, when we get it, is to disconnect from mm-hmm. those people who are, right? Who are yep. the, uh, the deniers or the, the ones spreading the rumors and the gossip. It's like, ah, and we disconnect. But there's a real danger in that. So Irvin, speak to that because your client had a saboteur and I wonder if her instinct was to to distance and disconnect. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, there was this angst of trying to, you know, it feels bad. The energy is bad. And so why why be in the presence of someone that drains me? And, you know, that, that some coaches say, oh, my God. This person's just so draining. I have a conversation with him. I feel exhausted. So, so of course, therefore, it is like, why would I want to connect myself? And yet, you know, if we're not connected, we can't influence. And so what's incredibly important is, yes, it may be draining, but if we totally disconnect, we have zero influence. And therefore, what you're left is is kind of a saboteur on the loose. <laughs> saboteur on the loose, on the road. On the loose, beware, beware. <laughs> you know, one of our conversations is, well, then how do you? How do you kind of remain connected? And one of the conversations we had a lot of is, is just healthy boundaries. So I think 
Well, you know, one of the things we talked about was we have to kind of try and move the saboteur because very often there's a lot of energy about what's not working, what's going wrong. And this person loves to relive the greatest hits of everything that has gone wrong and to really then trying to, to really move. Well, well, let's talk about the future. Let's talk about what we could create. Let's and try and move that energy a little bit away from what's not working, what's wrong to, to maybe a future vision. And I think, and or else, you know, kind of inviting them to be part of the fix. Mm. Well, then what what could we do to fix this, you know, and and really move that mindset and really maintain that dialogue and that conversation? Because I think that's that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. What other strategies do you think, Bridget, you might have for dealing with sabotage and resistance? Well, I have have a couple I want to share, but there's something you're saying that I really want to kind of go back to, which is, so- in your example of that client, she had one person on her team who was yep. a saboteur, right? And yep. in the client that I was helping recently with this, she's leading an organization of about 700 people. And she was talking on and on and on about, she didn't call them saboteurs, but that's essentially what they were. And I, and there was so much energy behind this. And she was talking about what they were saying and doing. And I said, how many people is this? And she said, three. And I'm like... <laughs> Three out of 700. Wow. But this is, this is what happened, yeah. that we allow the saboteurs to take a disproportionate share mm. of our yep. energy and attention. So we want to stay yes. connected to them and, and, yep. and invite them to play a role, like you said, and not let them overwhelm us as if like they're the be all and end all. Right. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, so a couple of strategies that we talk about in our resilient leadership training that I think are really helpful. One is, and I don't know where I heard this phrase many, many years ago, but it suggests a really important strategy. And that is you can let them visit pity city, but don't let them park there. Oh, oh, I love that. (laughs) And it just, it, it just says a lot, doesn't it, Urban? Yeah, it totally does. It's everything, yes. <laughs> I think of a pot of water on a stove, right? And it's starting to boil, and then you leave it for a while, and there's a lid on, and it starts to boil over. And unless you lift that lid up and let some of the steam escape, it's just going to get worse, right? Yeah. yeah. The trick is let, a, let people let a little steam off. That's normal, you know? Give them the space and opportunity to express some of their concerns and don't shove the top back on too quickly, but don't let it sit there forever, right? Mm, We have to redirect that energy towards that future that we're trying to create. Like you said, right? With the saboteurs, what what is the future that we're trying to create? So, and that's a tricky balance, don't you think? Yes, really, really, because- it can be such trap and it's a balance, you know, how, how much is too much. And, and I love this idea of, yes, listening to people's complaints is important and yet it can be a trap. Exactly. So any, any ideas of how, how do you deal with that, Bridget? How do you deal with that line that can be crossed over uh, when it comes to the pity party? Okay. Well, it, it kind of leads me into maybe another related strategy, but I, I do want to say this, that, you know, you really have to be very present to discern. You have to use discernment as to know when is that moment when the venting now has taken a turn into the territory of the 
you know, to never be returned <laughs> place, right? Yeah. When, yeah. when you know yeah. that the venting is no longer letting off steam, but it's actually trapping people. And, and so you got to be present and discern, and then you have to show that you heard them, right? Because if you don't even demonstrate that, they're not going to go with you anywhere, right? And, and then yeah. you refocus them with questions that have something to do with empowering them or inviting them into the, you know, the future. Okay. But here's another strategy related to your question, Irvin, and that is to really, as a, as a manager and a leader, know the difference between reactive complaints and productive complaints and teach your people that distinction. So what's the difference? So a reactive complaint comes from anxiety, right? And we feel so anxious. We want to get rid of the hot potato of our anxiety. And so we start to complain and vent at the wrong time to the wrong person from the wrong frame of mind. And it's a, ah, it's, you know, it's a five, um, what are we, it's a DEFCON five alarm going off. And that's not particularly effective. And it's hard to be heard when we're in that place. Mm. And then there's the productive complaint, which is, okay, you know, my manager has made this decision or is considering making this decision. And I have some real concerns about it. Let me get on the balcony, something we've talked Mm -hmm. about before and do some thinking. Why am I concerned? Mm. You know, and, and how might I share this in a productive way and when and where, and how can I be part of the solution? So I think that's really helpful. And, and, and one other thing I'll say about that is, thing about reactive complaints is sometimes the content of the complaint is not even what it's about. Yeah, They're just so offloading their anxiety. And if you mm-hmm. prematurely think, oh, if I just take care of this one complaint, everything will be fine. And then you take care of it and they're back again. You've fallen into that trap. Yeah. 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 You've seen that before, right? Absolutely. Uh, and it is such a, a very fine dividing line. I think you mentioned there, and I just reiterated being present to it and kind of just really being curious ourselves. I think at times, you know, we can get into this mindset, oh my God, when's this ever going to end, et cetera. And then just to be curious, I always like, you know, well, where is this coming from? Mm-hmm. And just to ask yourself, is this, is this the heart of it? Is this really ah, the heart of it? That's a good question. Or is it something different? And, and, and just to kind of engage, because really what it is, is then we're not really into the whole, they're, they're the negativity and the energy. We're really curious about it. And we're really kind of investigators and kind of like, what, what's at this, what's driving this, what, you know, and we can kind of really then being kind of, you know, kind of diagnose what, what's going on here. Mm, I love it. Where is this coming from and what's at the heart of it? That's fantastic. Yeah. Those are great questions. So you mentioned earlier that. When we are facing resistance and sabotage, sometimes it really knocks us for a loop and Mm. it erodes our confidence and our resolve. Mm. Yeah. And so what's a practice that we can leave our listeners with to kind of bolster that, right? In the moment of of that that pushback where we might want to buckle. Yeah. So for the practice today, I think what I'd love to suggest for us is to reconnect 
with the bodily experience of what's going on. We've talked about this before. We've talked about so often in our world, we're hired for our neck upwards and anything that's below our neck, we just forget about it. And yet this is such an experience. It is because it is an experience, not just of, of emotions, but it's also a physical experience, this sabotage and, and, and kind of how that impacts us. So it's really learning to listen to our bodies and use the power of that in how we show up. And so we'll call this embodying your, your length. And, and we know colloquially, uh, this is in, uh, part of expressions that we use. You know, we said, you know, uh, that's person, he's got no spine. Really interesting. Or else uh, she stood tall, even in the face of her critics. And so we get this, this definition of whenever we feel attacked, we close in on ourselves, we have no spine, we collapse, or whenever we're facing with pride and, and with conviction, we're standing tall. And so therefore, this practice is all about embodying that idea of a tall spine. And, um, and so what I invite you to do, I, I don't know where you're at as you're listening to this, but just imagine yourself, um, you know, and kind of physically do this. This is important because it's part of it. You know, first of all, you know, take a position of collapse, of leaning over, of being slumped in, in, a, in a, uh, a posture. And then imagine having to advocate for something you believe in. And I'd even invite you just to say some words, you know, think about something you want to advocate for. And notice, you know, notice how that feels. Notice what it's like to have this, this, this bodily position, and here you are trying to advocate for something and appear strong and resolute. And then next, take a position, you know, come out of that position, and just imagine yourself standing with, with just pride. And your chin uh, is, is slightly elevated. And if you could just imagine, you know, holding yourself off the ground and just imagine that there's a little piece of string on the, on the crown of your, your head that's propping it up and, uh, and you feel, you know, kind of erect uh, and not, you know, stiff, but just erect and uh, think about that and just be aware and then imagine embodying that presence. And what does that presence feel like? You know, and I feel at times we automatically go into this unconsciously when we think of moments in our past where we think of something that we've done that is, we're very proud of. And, and I think we automatically have this, this, this kind of feeling of being erect. And I think that that bodily position signals to us, signals to our minds that we are confident, that we are ready, that we are worthy, and that what we have to say is of value. So, you know, even think of doing that exercise, perhaps the next time when you have a meeting um, where you're called in and you're just worried, you're, you're anticipating perhaps a little bit of sabotage, you're anticipating pushback from people, just take a few minutes to really embody what does it mean to, to embody your length, uh, your dignity, and your value. And just take a little time just owning that space. And as you walk into the meeting, um, just own that space. And then perhaps just notice. Notice when you're facing perhaps pushback at a meeting. Just take uh, note of how is your body in this position? Have you collapsed? And if you've collapsed, just readjust. Even if you're seated in a chair, readjust as well so that you're lengthening your spine and that you are consistent in your body with what's coming out of your mouth. Mm. 
Thank you for that, Irvin, because as you talked about the practice, I followed your words and I did it. And what I noticed is when I was, when my spine was collapsed and I was slumped, I felt so defeated. Yeah. And then when I embodied that upright, tall spine, I felt so empowered. It's fascinating what a little shift like that will do for us. Yep. Uh, and, and when the pushback comes, that moment of being able to embody our length can make or break us, right? Yeah, absolutely. Lovely, lovely. Well, thank you so much, as always. Thank you. Yeah, this has been fascinating. Hasn't it, though? It's just a great conversation about you know, leaning into resistance and sabotage and, and counterintuitively seeing that in many cases, it's a sign we're doing something right. That it, it feels personal, but it's really just a systemic response to change. Yeah. And that there are some real strategies we can use to, to deal with this part of our job description because it comes with the territory of leading. So it ain't going to go away. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk about topic for next time, which I believe, Irvin, is are you stuck in a toxic triangle? Ooh. Sound good? Yeah, I'm fascinating. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Well, I look forward to having that conversation with you and our yeah. listeners next time. And thank you, Irvin, as always, for being such a great collaborator. Thank you, Bridget, as well. Enjoyed our conversation and looking forward to talking about toxic triangles. All right. Take care, everybody. Bye now. <laughs>